great future. We're talking real money. Welcome to Friday. It's talking real money Q&A day, as it is pretty much every Friday. I'm Don McDonald. Thanks for being there. We're going to just kind of avoid whatever the current topics are so that this thing remains evergreen for anybody who listens to it almost any time. And all we do in this episode is answer questions. Well, you at we, you ask them, I, I answer them. And the questions are all sent in for today's episode at TalkingRealMoney.com using the contact form and the microphone button there that allows you to record your questions so that they sound pretty good. Hey, good morning or good afternoon, guys. Tom and Don, you're doing great job. Thank you very much. I have a quick question. Like, what would you do if you would have been in my, my situation? Uh, pay off my house mortgage loan or just keep on paying the 1800 a month uh, mortgage payment I have. The house is worth uh, just over a million bucks. Uh, we have left uh, probably $400,000 in 30-year convention mortgage at 3.25 interest rates. I have cash available that is invested in different type of funds and CDs and mutual funds and savings, etc. Uh, I have about four years to... Uh, uh, to work and my uh, my investments are close to two million, not including what's in the house. So I'm just curious uh, if I should pay off the mortgage or just keep on paying the monthly payment and hoping that market does better on my investments. Appreciate you. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Ah, the pay off the mortgage versus investing dilemma. Well, you have a three plus percent mortgage, which is an incredible rate. I mean, mine's a little lower, but I got lucky. That's an incredible rate. Historically, it's been an incredible rate. You're borrowing money at next to nothing, and and you have the potential tax deduction on the interest. Bonus. So even if your investments only made about 3.5%, but they made them through capital gains, which are taxed at a lower rate right now, you would still be money ahead. However, historically, somebody with a well-diversified portfolio, even one that was primarily bonds with just a few equities, has done far better, far better than 3.5%. The expectation, and it's a guess, but my expectation is that even in this new market paradigm, it's that again, yeah, uh, that a balanced portfolio, about 60% stocks, 40% bonds, based on history, you, you can expect, I think you can expect longer term with a patient process, five-ish at the bottom, maybe better. But even if it's four-ish, you're still money ahead. So as a financial decision, paying off a two- Two and a half, three, three and a half percent mortgage from a purely financial perspective, paying off a mortgage like that just doesn't make sense. I would keep it invested. I would be very, very patient with it. Rebalance your portfolio regularly. Make sure it's within your risk tolerance so that you're not likely to panic when bad things happen because they do and they will again happen. Yet, I don't imagine we're going to see rates this that low 
in the not-too-distant future. So I think you're good for a while anyway. Thank you so much for the question. I appreciate it. That was sent in to TalkingRealMoney.com on the contact form. You can also call us at 855-935-TALK, and we'll get those questions on the on the weekend show and sprinkled in from time to time. There aren't as many of those. And now let's get the next question. Hi, Tom and Don. This is Nick. I just recently listened to Paul Merriman talk about the variable withdrawal strategy, which I find to be one of the more easier ones to do out, out there. What is your opinion of the variable strategy? I've heard you talk about the 5%. Paul Merriman's recent podcast shows that you can go up to 6%. What do both of you think you're going to do when you withdraw your funds? Curious to see what you think. Thank you for taking the call. One thing I've noticed about Paul is since he has left the investment advisory industry where the rules on what you can say are pretty pretty strict <laughs> gotta be really careful uh he's become more daring in his old age he really has i i mean he's he's really pumping small cap value a lot harder because well he's right small cap value has done historically so much better over time but it gets a little scary at times same thing with a six percent flexible withdrawal strategy while i personally think it's a doable number. We try to stick with something more conservative so that the chances of failure are reduced dramatically. And we found that a 5% number run through all kinds of simulations, and that's all we're doing, is we're simulating based on possible outcomes, based on the past, holds up really, really, really well when you have a well-balanced portfolio. And by a well-balanced portfolio, we mean not 100% stocks, not 100% bonds, but somewhere in that um, 30 to 70 range of equities, 30% to 70% equities, that it, it, hold, it, it has in hypothetical situations held up pretty darn well. And I have to tell you, my plan my personal plan is a 5% flexible right now. I believe Tom's is the same. What we are thinking, I know I'm speaking for me, and I also believe I'm speaking for Tom because he's talked about this so many times. Our idea, and I think this is the best idea in the world, is to take out 5% of my portfolio's value at the beginning of the year because it gives me a number from which to budget. Now I know what I have to spend for the rest of the year, and I can create my monthly budget for that year. Then come the end of the next year, it's time to set up the budget for that year. Could be a could be a better year for me. Could be a windfall, as Tom likes to say. You know, you, you, you can go to Hawaii or you can go to a water park. It just points to the fact that our lives generally are adjustable. And so we can afford to be flexible. That's why we like it. Thanks for the great call. I appreciate it. Now, our next question. Hello, Tom and Don. I had a question about a fund recommendation that you make on the show. Often when recommending one fund to put money in, uh, in a brokerage account, you will recommend VT, which is a fund that I currently use for anything that's not going into a deferred compensation plan or a Roth IRA. However, when you 
look to recommend a small cap value fund, you often recommend AVUV, the Avantis fund. I notice that AVGE is the Avantis answer to VT, where it has a global diversification and exposure with a tilt towards small and value. I'm wondering if AVGE would work just as well or even better than VT. Please let me know if this is something that you would recommend. Thank you. Just a little glossary of terms before I answer that. Um, what we're doing is not really recommending. We are suggesting things for you to look to because we don't know enough about you to really recommend anything. We're just saying these are some ideas that might work given uh, a very broad generalized scenario. For example, VT might work very well for someone who's just getting started, doesn't want extreme volatility in their equity portfolio because they're new at it. Uh, it gives them decent diversification, but it's all equity. And there's no small cap tilt or value tilt, all these factor tilts. Not a terrible thing, but we believe the factor tilts have shown outperformance in the past. Past. So we often suggest AVGE for someone who is comfortable with what we believe will be the added volatility of the small value component, the small value tilt to that portfolio. I'll give you what, I, and this is a hypothetical example, but let's say worst year for a or for VT, the worst expected year is a loss of about 50%, which it actually is. It's somewhere around there. I would expect that AVGE's worst year in a similar set of circumstances, a market that doesn't favor value, that just hates everything, could be 55, 60%. 65% even, it's going to be, it's likely going to be greater. So it requires a stronger constitution. But do we like AVGE as an alternative? Absolutely do. Thanks for the call. Now, let's, well, thanks for the question asked at TalkingRealMoney.com using your computer mic, but it's easier to say call. Now to the next one. Hi, Don and Tom. First, I want to let you all know that I love your show. I feel like I'm getting financial advice from caring dads, plus I'm at the age that I'm willing to listen. I've recently changed my financial advisor to Appella Wealth, mainly due to my trust in both of you and your commitment to helping people achieve a secured future. I plan to retire at 60 and draw Social Security at 62. I know you all have emphasized several times to wait as long as possible because we get more in Social Security payments, especially if we wait until 70. The reason why I want to take Social Security at 62 is that I am unmarried and don't plan to marry, but with a child who will be 22 when I reach 62. That means that my child will not be able to benefit from any of my Social Security benefits once she is 18 if I should pass. I want to preserve generational wealth for her. At 62, I should have two separate state pensions and defer comp with employer cash match to draw from, which my child is a direct beneficiary of those plans. I plan to live on those funds along with my lower Social Security benefits as supplemental income for as long as possible without touching my IRA and brokerage investments that are managed by Appella. So if I die, my child will be able to inherit my investments. I know I will be giving up a lot of money by not waiting until full retirement age to draw Social Security, 
but I rather not touch or draw much from the funds that I can pass on to my child, if at all possible. Having some of the Social Security payments will supplement my pension income, especially because I plan to retire early at 60. Is there a flaw in my logic for taking Social Security early? Thank you so much for entertaining my question. Well, thank you for your question. And no, there's not really a flaw in your logic. I I get what you're trying to accomplish. And if there is a really good reason why you want to make sure your daughter has that money, if there will be a need for it, then it might make sense. Um, however, I am not a huge fan of generational wealth transfers because this money was saved by you for you. And I get the parent caring about the kid thing, but um, waiting would be, well, waiting would be good for you, for, for you, but probably not as good for her. I don't know. It really depends on so many factors that we can't possibly know. Because let's say, for example, your Social Security was 1500 bucks a month at age 62. Well, if you waited until age 70, you would get an extra $600 a month based on today's numbers approximately. So you would have to draw out about $144,000 over the eight years from your retirement plan to make up for that lost income if you, you if that 1500 is necessary for your survival, if it's necessary. I'm making that assumption. And... It, if you don't live a long time, you're not going to replace that amount through that extra 600. It would take you 20 years approximately to, to replace that amount without it growing at all. That's not factoring any growth, just the savings. So um, it is complex. It really is. Since you do have an Appella advisor, this is such a good question to sit down and discuss with them because that's why you have them for one reason. And they have incredibly powerful software at their disposal that can run all kinds of scenarios and show you how this might work out in different scenarios for you and against you. So I think this is something worth talking about. I mean, if we were in it, if, if it was solely a selfish reason, I would say, you know, absolutely take the Social Security and leave your IRA alone so, so you remain our client, so we make more money off of you. But that's not what this is about. This is about making sure it's right for you, which is why I think you should really sit down with an advisor and run the numbers. The other thing you might want to consider, you're retiring young. And I don't know, because you left your question, we didn't converse. I don't know what your goal is in retirement. But if you're like... Most people, 30 years of being retired can grow pretty boring, particularly at the beginning. A lot of people really love the idea of retiring from a job that is tedious and wears them out to doing something that's fun, that pays a little money. And remember, all you have to come up with, again, if you're is if your uh, social security is 1500 and I'm using that for an example you know you just have to come up with uh, uh, a couple of weeks of work part time to replace that so run some other scenarios and again you have the huge advantage of having a real live fiduciary advisor who can help you do that that's why you have that person whomever that might be and they will 
absolutely do it for you and gladly do it. So look at the options. And thanks for the question. Now let's get another one. This came through TalkingRealMoney.com on the contact form. Hello, Tom and Don. This is John, longtime listener to your podcasts. Thank you. I have about a million dollars allocated 70-30 with a local fiduciary wealth management company, but I feel I can do as good as them for a lower cost, currently 1.25% per year. I am looking at F-B-A-L-X and F-P-U-R-X. Both are 60-40, but they both have a 0.5% annual fee. Can you recommend some funds that are lower cost and either 60-40 or 70-30? Thank you. If you could see me, you would see that as you were asking that question, my mouth was hanging wide open and an an aghast look crossed my face. I hate to tell you this, sir, but you are not ready to do this on your own. You are absolutely not ready to do this on your own. I don't know. I hope your advisor does not have you in any funds that even slightly resemble the ones that you mentioned in your question. Because the, the funds you're looking at, Franklin Income, Fidelity Puritan, these are actively managed funds, and the Franklin Fund has a commission to boot and high fees. You're going, you're going backward if you leave your advisor and go to these, unless, of course, these are the kinds of funds your advisor is using, and then you should fire your advisor and maybe find another one. But I, I don't know what kind of funds are in your portfolio. You might want to call back and let us know what funds are in your portfolio or call us on Saturday. We can talk live at 855-935-TALK between 3 and 5 Eastern. Um, but in the meantime, if you want to do it yourself, and you want to do it yourself with moderate risk, 60-40 to 70-30, then your best bets, actually your best bet in terms of being an index product, being massively diversified, giving you the proper balance for you, you think, you think, you don't know. Take the risk quiz at TalkingRealMoney.com first. But the Vanguard Target Retirement 2030 Fund, VTHRX, is 65.35 with thousands of securities, unlike the uh, Fidelity Income and the Fidelity Puritan, which only have a few, and they're actively managed, thus the higher fees. And get this, the total fees and expenses for the Vanguard Target Retirement Fund, 0.08%. That's a dramatic reduction. And what you get is great diversification. The other thing you get is a semblance of management because you're on a glide path. As time passes, the fund becomes more conservative. I'll give you an example. The 2025 fund, the Target Retirement 2025, has about 58% in equities and 42%, I'm sorry, yeah, and 42% in fixed income. So as time passes, they become more conservative, yet they always maintain, which we think is very, very wise, 
a uh, component of equities, a pretty substantial equity component. So um, I, I hate to tell you, but if this is your own research into the funds, you shouldn't manage your own money. If this is someone else's, then you should stop listening to this other person because those are not the kind of funds you should be getting into. And I would be fascinated to hear what your 1.25% fiduciary advisor has you in. Because if your 1.25% fiduciary advisor doesn't have you in a bunch of ETFs, index, or passive, or actively passive, we had a whole discussion about that on Wednesday's podcast, uh, academically-based funds or index funds, then your, your advisor is not, is not doing what we consider to be a good job and really not acting in your best interest if they're putting you in high-fee funds. So thank you so much for the question, and thanks for doing it and making it and calling it in before you did something. Before. Thank you. And call us on Saturday if you can. 855-935-TALK. We'll take calls. We take calls from everybody on Saturdays, and we actually have a conversation. And uh, it's it's during our radio show that airs in Seattle on Saturdays, 855-935-TALK. And we're there 3 to 5 Eastern, noon to 2 Pacific time. And let's take our final question of the day. I recently found out that I could get a $440 pension. I'm age 55. Uh, or if I wait till 2033, I'll be 65 and, and a half, something like that. I could get $866. I was trying to figure out if it would be better to take the early pension. If this is a previous employer that I don't work for anymore and they went out of business. Um, so should I invest the money in a Roth or... Um, should I wait until 2033 and take the 866? Um, I don't know what your thoughts on that are. Uh, if I took it early, I'd have to be disciplined enough to invest it, all of it. Um, uh, but I think it might be easier just to wait and not worry about it. I did some numbers and it didn't seem, I used 6% uh, annual increase and it came about out about the same if I invested it for 10 years and then let it grow for another 20 years or if I just waited until uh, I got the 860-ish dollars and uh, collected that for, say, 20 years until I was 85, uh, it came out about the same. Unless I guess there are scenarios where if I got a higher percentage annual return that, yeah, it would benefit me, but... The sure thing, I guess, would be just to wait and take the full amount later. What are your thoughts? Thank you. Uh, Joe from Ohio. Take care. Bye. Well, it seems to me that you thought that up pretty darn carefully <laughs> and pretty darn accurately. Uh, you're right. There are scenarios in which it might make sense to take the 440 now if you're disciplined enough to properly invest it, but you're going to have to invest it for a relatively high degree of risk, whereas the waiting is essentially risk-free. So your return on a risk-adjusted basis is higher by waiting because you cannot get an absolutely safe return that will make the numbers work out. 
So you've answered your own question and you answered it very effectively. The best course of action is probably, again, we don't know the future, is probably to wait and take the bigger payout. So good job. Nice work. Thank you all for your great questions and particular thanks to all of you listening who uh, have made us reasonably successful as a podcast. Thank you. I mean, we're, we're regularly in the top 100 investing podcasts in the country, and uh, we wouldn't be there if you hadn't uh, told some people and certainly listened regularly. So thank you. Thank you for that. And if you don't mind, tell some others. And... And if you really like what you hear, please leave us a nice review at Apple Podcasts. People generally write reviews when they're angry. I've discovered that with restaurants. With all, they, you know, if they're happy, they don't write reviews. So if you like us, write reviews at Apple Podcasts or rate us at Spotify. We have to get out of here. Remember, you can call the both of us, Tom and me every Saturday from 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern at 855-935-TALK, 855-935-8255. And it's so easy to get your question answered quickly, and it gives us the opportunity to have a conversation where we can say, oh, but what is this, and where is this, and why is this? So try it out. 855-935-TALK, 855-935-8255. Three to five on Saturdays, where we will be spending some time with you and a lot of other people talking real money. We hope you realize that the information provided on Talking Real Money is for informational, educational, and hopefully enjoyable purposes only. Providing personalized financial planning or investing advice takes time. So please consult with a really good fee-only fiduciary investment, tax, or legal advisor. We know a good one. Investing must always involve risk. In other words, you can and probably will lose money at times. Also, as much as you want it, no one can accurately and consistently predict the future. So past performance doesn't tell you a darn thing about what the future will bring. Unlike many other programs that say something similar, Talking Real Money is not trying to get you to buy or sell any financial products or securities. Instead, the program is provided as a public service by Appella Capital, a fee-only registered investment advisor. Thanks for listening, and please visit TalkingRealMoney.com for more information and disclosures. That's a wrap.